You're listening to From Passion to Profit, a show about female entrepreneurs who have built their businesses from the ground up and turned their passion into profit. These episodes share their most inner working thoughts, their journey, triumphs, and challenges. Whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, these women have valuable advice and insights to share. If you want to turn your passion into profit, this podcast is for you. In today's episode, we dive into the story and journey of Aggie Burnett of Abbey Creative, a PR and marketing strategist who has made a name for herself by championing emerging beauty companies. With a diverse background in industries ranging from beauty and fashion to fragrance, Aggie is a true powerhouse in the marketing and PR space. Join us as we explore Aggie's journey from her first job to starting her own business and the lessons she has learned along the way. She shares insights on finding success for her clients, building her own brand, and growing as a person in the world of business. Aggie's passion for helping the underdog get noticed in a sea of lookalike brands is truly inspirational, and her unique perspective on the industry is one that is not to be missed. From navigating the ever-changing landscape of social media to developing effective PR strategies, Aggie's expertise is sure to leave a lasting impression. Now, if you're wondering where it all began for Aggie, it all started in an elevator at Glamour Magazine. Um, so I started as an intern at the in the fashion closet. And... Uh, during that time, my mom had given me this article from Architectural Digest, and it was an article about the beauty director, Felicia Milevich, um, who was at Glamour at the time. And she was like, hey, look at this, like how, it, how, how interesting that, because I'm, I'm Polish and Felicia is also Polish. She was like, oh, how interesting that she, happens to be the beauty director at Glamour Magazine. I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I held on to the clip and lo and behold, like um, a week or two later, I'm walking into the four Times Square Condé Nast offices. Those were the older offices. Now it's at uh, One World Trade or Two World Trade. Um, but I was walking into the elevators and who happens to be there in the elevator? It was, it was her. And it was like morning rush hour. So there's a bunch of people like piling into, into the elevator. She's kind of minding her own business. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, should I say something? Like here I am this lowly intern. And I, I decided to go for it. And I asked her in Polish, like, or I told her in Polish, like, oh, I just read this article about you. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And um, I just, I shared some compliment about the Architectural Digest article and like her home and how beautiful it was. She was so shocked. She was like, so taken aback. Like, who was this person? Like, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning talking to me in Polish. Um, and she was like, why don't you, and I think I offered my help. I was like, I'd love to learn from you. or I'd love to see if I can help in any way. And she was like, why don't you come by my office during your lunchtime? So while all the other interns would have their take their hour lunch, I would go to the beauty department 
and she gave me a job to clean out the closets and organize the beauty closets, which is like a dream. Like all the, I mean, it was, how big could it be? I don't know, maybe like 200 square feet. Yeah, maybe like 200 square feet, like all lined up with like beauty, like head to toe beauty, uh, like beauty products mm-hmm. on all the shelves. And I get to try everything and it was amazing. Um, so I would organize all of that. And I did that for like a few weeks. And then she offered me this Friday position um, because the, there was this one like freelancer Friday uh, position in the beauty closet. Um, and the person who was in that position ended up going, I think, to another, I think, to Lucky. And so I um, I stepped in for that position. She offered it to me while I was still in college. It was a paid position, which is so exciting. And so then I started doing some journalism work because I was also a journalism major. So I was doing, you know, mostly organizing, you know, sources, um, copy checking things, facts, um, putting in like um, checking in different products because Felicia would get like, like, I mean, like dozens of shipments, like a day of mm-hmm. products. And so my job was to open them up, organize them, make sure they were checked in, bringing them to her office, displaying them, like making sure the press release was there. And that's how I got started. And then I did a good, good job, a good enough job there that when the beauty assistant position became open, even though I hadn't yet graduated, I was like a f- couple weeks from graduating. Um, and it was a position that required like, I think a few, at least a few years of experience. Um, I kind of threw my name into the hat and was like, here's why I think I'd be good for this. And will you give me a shot basically? And they said, they said, yes, um, it was so nerve wracking. I'm thinking about it. And I wrote this whole letter to her and the managing editor to show that I was worthy of the position. Um, so they gave me a trial run basically, but they basically brought me on as a full-time employee, as a beauty assistant. And I had to take, I remember I had to take a day off. I had to use one of my, um, I don't know, like vacation days to graduate. Um, cause I had already. Mm-hmm. I already had a full-time position working there. And then um, I did that for the next, I think it was like two years that I worked, uh, I worked there and it was awesome. I mean, a lot of it was like admin stuff for, for Felicia and for, for the rest of the team, but it was still really eye-opening because I got to, you know, answer phone, tell, you know, telephone for Felicia from people that were you know, directors of massive beauty companies. I got to write articles. I got to write for the blog, which was at the time called the Glamour blog. It was just getting started. And it was called, um, I think the girls, the girls in the beauty closet. <laughs> I think that's what it And so what's cool about that is like, I got to really play around with that and experiment with that because .com wasn't like a full-blown thing yet so that's where I got to like practice my writing chops my journalism chops you know feature different products Um, and I also got to interview different makeup artists and hairstylists for the cover of Glamour magazine get their credit information like what product what lipstick did you use on Lady Gaga or like what you know 
plush did you use? What was the name of it? Uh, mm -hmm. so that was really cool too. And then I got to go to like so many different events, um, all the fashion, like a lot of fashion, different fashion shows and um, different like launches, skincare mm -hmm. launches. I remember one was from um, Dr. Dennis Gross, mm -hmm. which uh, I thought was so cool because it was a science backed skincare brand and it was a doctor led skincare brand, which I found really cool. And I remember going to that event and being like, wow, like, could this be possible <laughs> to do something? Yeah. Like so, so yeah. yeah, day to day, I, I think, I mean, yeah, the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm so engrossed. I feel like this is a real life devil wears Prada <laughs> moment. Oh you yeah. Know? That's so cool. Did you always know you wanted to be in beauty or you just ended up having falling into it because of how everything happened you know what I think that's a good question I knew I wanted to be in like lifestyle magazine so I knew actually glamour was my top choice my top magazine that I, I knew I wanted to work for when I was younger I used to make magazines and they always had like fashion and beauty in them and then I would send them out to my friends like I would you know back when during snail mail like I would actually like make the magazine staple it like have drawings in there, prices on things, um, oh. storylines, like headlines. I would, you know, use colored pencils, and then I would staple it, and then send it out, snail mail to my friends. Um, <laughs> That's so, so that cute. How it started, and I think um, I don't know if I really thought about beauty because I think most people think about like the fashion department. And, but then once I experienced beauty, I was like, oh, this is cool. Because yeah. what's cool about it is that it blends science which i really enjoy facts science like ingredients formulations it blends that science piece with the with the beauty lifestyle marketing piece mm -hmm. i can definitely see that yeah you get kind of the best of both worlds totally so cool. it's like at least for me it didn't I was fascinated by like how things were created and the process and the science behind it. And so for me, it wasn't, I think a lot of people think beauty is superficial, but I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not. I mean, there's so much to it. So Aggie graduates from college. She then gets her dream job at her dream company, Glamour Magazine. Now, anyone who actually has made the transition from college to the workforce knows this, but in case you have yet made that transition, most people don't get a job they like right out of college, let alone their dream job. So this is kind of an amazing experience Aggie is having. Based off of this experience, you would think she would be more than fulfilled. But despite the dream job and her dream company, Aggie wanted more. So at what point did you decide that you wanted to start your own beauty brand? Once I started going to different events and interviewing different founders and getting a chance to learn their journey and their process, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, is this, would, could it be possible for me to do something like this? And I've always had a very entrepreneurial spirit. And I think I was, it was never meant for the nine to five job. Like I have a very, very independent spirit. And I'm always, I always have these creative ideas. And I think corporate 
keeps you to one specific area, which I think is great for learning skills. But for someone who has, who has like just a lot of drive and ambition, it can feel a little bit stifling, like, oh, well, I want to do this too. And I want to do this too. So um, I think that energy and that kind of those values of independence and freedom and exploration and ambition combined with just seeing other founders doing it and being like, ah, oh, that's, that may, could that be possible for me? Um, was really the impetus to, to step away and, and start something of my own. Actually, I went on a detour between that, but. <laughs> oh, can you tell us about the detour? The detour was, uh, going to pre-med at Columbia after leaving Glamour because I thought, I thought you had to become like a dermatologist to start a beauty brand because I'd met all the experts that were physicians or dermatologists. And I was like, oh, I have to do that first. And I think part of it was too, was like making my parents happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so that was my detour, but it was a good detour because I met yeah. my husband there, so it worked out. Like, yes. it was so obvious it was like not the right <laughs> path to take, but you know, mm -hmm. you don't know what sometimes you feel like when you're in your 20s, you don't quite know what you're doing yet. You're trying different things out. You're also trying to, as, a, as an immigrant, you're also trying to make your parents happy. So, yeah, <laughs> mix, yeah, mix those things. Oh my gosh, I resonate with that so much as I'm hearing your story it sounds like you were juggling a lot while you were in college um with like the internship then the friday freelancer job um and that was like i feel like a lot of immigrants kind of have that mindset of like just hustling 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 and trying to do everything they can to put themselves in like the right opportunity at the right time totally. at the right place and it sounds like that's what happened with you totally. That's so, such a great perspective, the way you worded that. It's exactly mm -hmm. that. It's like hustling, hustling, hustling to put yourself in the right spot for the right opportunities, knowing mm -hmm. that like how important those opportunities are. Yeah, I love that. So did you fully finish it or did you stop like after year one or year two? Oh yeah, no, I finished it and I applied for oh, wow. that twice. And <laughs> then I applied for medical schools. Um, I think I got rejected from majority of them because I did not have high enough scores. And then I think I was, you know what happened? I think I was waiting to hear back from different medical schools to hear if like I got into any. And I started, I ordered some oils, like fragrance oils and essential oils. And I started playing with those in my 300 square foot New York City apartment during like the lag year, as they call it. Yeah, mm, that makes sense. And so that's how you got into starting Nomatera. Yes, that's how okay. I started like playing around with different oils. I started combining fragrances and like, we're going to start a fragrance company. <laughs> Aggie started to invest in her idea, her vision, herself. And that's really scary. Do you remember what that day was like when you were registering for Nomatera fragrances? You know what? I, I, I wish I had remembered this part. 
because I don't remember like the day or the moment where I decided we're going to do this. I, th I do remember like coming up, getting really excited and coming up with topics or ideas or positioning angles for the business with my husband. And I was always an avid traveler. And so, and we were like, we were so young at the time. And I was like, oh, it should be a travel for brand. There's nothing out there that exists that is combines fragrance for travelers. And like, it's such a pain point because you can't travel with big bubbled glasses. He was, and he, I think my excitement, like just pulled him into starting this together. Um, even though, mind you, he really rarely, if ever had traveled before he met me. And then he really, you know, he didn't have like a big knowledge around beauty or fragrance. Um, but I, even just yesterday, I was thinking about our work partnership and he was so instrumental in the operations and actually being able to execute a lot of the things that we did. And I was thinking about just how important having an operations partner is in a business. What did that dynamic look like as you were growing the beauty brand with your husband in operations and you were on the creative side? Um, I think we butted heads a ton, like a lot. I, I think we were excited and we were try, like, we were trying out different things and, you know, we worked well together sometimes, but oftentimes we butted heads. So like, I probably wouldn't go into business with him now. Actually, actually, I feel like maybe I would knowing like how I am now in business and how he, like he is. But at the time we didn't know like kind of our cornerstone skills and values and, and how we work and our styles of work. And you didn't have like all the personality tests and the entrepreneurial mm -hmm. tests and like your human design and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So if we had known those, we, it would have been amazing. Like it would have, I think it would have been much, much smoother, but I think in general we did, we did butt heads a lot because I'm a quick action taker. So I, I like to just go for things if I feel into it. And he's very methodical and very slow to make decisions and just looks at things from a totally different angle. Um, and I think if we both had appreciate each, each other's like what our strengths that we brought to the table, it would have been so much easier. <laughs> like, it's number one, knowing what those skill sets are and why they're beneficial, right? But then number two, it's trusting like, oh, you're taking full ownership of this because you're really good at this air in this area versus like trying to get them to be like you and think like you, not realizing like you want an opposite player and how amazing that is to have someone opposite to you. Like how much more wealth and abundance I don't mean wealth like money, but wealth in a business in terms of knowledge and growth you can have if you're capable of seeing mm -hmm. the assets that a partner brings and letting those assets really thrive in the business. You'll see your business mm -hmm. be m way more successful if you can really um, support that other person's assets. Um, were you guys bootstrapping everything or did you have investors, you had family? We bootstrapped everything. We used our wedding money to start the business. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive.
<laughs> I think it was like 25, 25K, something around that. So when you were going to all of these trade shows and you were just talking to whoever would listen, did you hear a lot of no's? And if so, how did you go about dealing with that? Yeah, all the time. Um, and the majority of the time it was no's, but it, it wasn't like, wow. you know, it wasn't, a lot of times it was no, but then it was yes later, you know? Yeah. A lot of times I think what I noticed, I think people just want proof of concept and they want proof that you will sell in their store. And the more stores you're in or the more reputation you build with media and you're on the market for longer, the more people are going to trust you and trust that you'll sell on the, on the shelves. So, yeah, I mean, we hear no all the time, but I, I don't know if I even heard it. I just was like, <laughs> well, I'll just keep going and I'll just keep like badgering them until it finally is a yes. There was one retailer that I'm thinking of like in Chicago that I loved. It's still there. Um, they sell like such beautiful niche fragrances. And I remember like meeting them at like three different trade, different trade shows over the course of like three years. It was always, it wasn't like it was like a, a mean no. It was just more like, no, not right, not yet, not right now. We're testing them out, blah, blah, blah. You know, that whole song and dance. Eventually we got in and it became a, they ended up becoming a great partner and they reordered regularly and uh, they're, they were great. And yeah. you know, it just took a little bit of, um, perseverance. Hey there, podcast fans. If you're loving our show, we want to hear from you. Leaving a review is the best way to share your thoughts and help us make our content even better. And if you really want to share your support, share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag us at Chea Media. By sharing our show with your friends and audience, you're helping us reach more people and build our community. Let's spread the word and create something amazing together. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you can turn your passion into profit. Now back to the episode. When you're building something, the only real way to stay motivated is to set goals. But the bigger the goal is, the scarier. So many times this leads people to set small goals, limit their ambitions. But Aggie is built different. While building your brand, Nomatera, at what point did you have the vision that you might actually be able to sell your product in Sephora? I had gone to Sephora when I was a young girl. Like my friends and I, when we were in, I think late middle school, it must've been like the beginning of high school. When we were like 14, 15, we would go and take like trips into the city to Sephora, like just so we can go to Sephora and do like a makeup haul. Um, this is before Instagram, before influencers, it, it was just, we would, at the end of it, we would go back and we would like, sh like try on all the products that we got. Um, and it was just like so much, it was so much fun. I knew from the beginning that Sephora was like the target. It was like a two year process of going back and forth and back and forth calls, emails, was tough as like the buying team changes often, especially at these big box retailers, you know, they like a new person will come on. And so they have no idea what point you are in the process. And so you have to like reignite, especially if you're not in yet, right? It's almost like, oh shoot, if a new buyer comes in, like you're basically out of luck. 
you you may not hear from Sephora at all. So it's, it's having to reignite the conversation and being like, and letting them know like, hey, this is where we left, with, left off with this buyer. Like, here's the process that we're at. Like, and we want to just make sure we can continue to move forward on this. So it was a lot of that. It's like a lot of following up, following up, following up. And also like changing packaging too. Like there were certain requirements that they had. They were great about providing feedback and like um, ideas and ways that we can adjust the product slightly. Not even, not like the core product, but like the packaging or even like pricing. So they were good about like making sure like we were a fit that it all made sense and we could even like send them product like if we change the packaging we would send it into the buyers and get their feedback which was awesome so i think <laughs> this is like the grit's so great and so important to have especially in the early stages but as you start to scale which is where we're at with our consulting business i think the grit is still great to have but it's pairing that with like not burning it all down, you know, like mm -hmm. not like it's, it's being more methodical and being more intentional, slower to make decisions, which for me is like, <laughs> and just, you know, letting, like finding the easier simplified ways to do things versus like mm -hmm. always struggling, you know? Yeah. Which I think is, is not in our or at least in my DNA, I think in general as an immigrant, like struggle is a good thing because it's part of mm -hmm. like coming the struggle, right? You touched on wanting things to be a bit easier. Was that why you decided to attempt to sell your beauty brand? So um, we never sold the brand. We tried to sell our brand. We actually had a couple people approach us for the IP of our business and we were in talks throughout the last um was it last year or the year before i think maybe it was already the year before we had we were talks um negotiating on an ip deal but um unfortunately our trademark fell through and we had we had a long-standing trademark for nomatera for i think it was like um 10 years or more. And then when we reapplied for it, we actually reapplied for it incorrectly. Um, mm. For those of you listening who have a product business, you know the pain points of trademarking. Um, big lesson learned. Um, mistake, I don't know if I would call it, I mean, yes, mistake, but also a big learning lesson. And it's something that like I, mm. now that I, did, I work with different clients and students, it's these learning lessons that I'm able to pass pass on, but mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we ended up, you know, not you know not being able to sell it for that reason. Um, but we still get regular inquiries, like literally every single week. 2017 was a roller coaster ride for Aggie. She was just kicking off her consulting brand while also having her first little bundle of joy. Many mothers who are juggling their business whilst raising kids, let alone babies, know exactly what Aggie must be feeling. Here is how Aggie managed to juggle both things at the same time. Well, first I started helping out a colleague of mine, Amy Majoro. So she has a PR firm. And so when I was pivoting into consulting, 
before I even made the pivot, I started helping Amy out in, in PR and I started working with her clients and I loved it. It was fantastic. I got to do desk sides with different editors. I really spruced up my PR skills, even though I was always on the journalism side. Now I had the, was able to build my skill sets on the PR side. And she really like, she's amazing. She, she really, um, taught me majority of what I know when it comes to PR, um, especially at that time. And then, um, at the time I also had a client come to, or like a, a brand come to me that was asking me for like for help with content marketing because they saw what we had done with our brand and they wanted to do, you know, build out their own like blog and, and, and build out their content marketing and their SEO. Um, that brand was called Moonskin. I don't know if you're in the beauty world, you know, Moon, M-U-N. Um, and so we, so I did that. And then I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Love doing this. It helped, it played into my journalism skills, my marketing skills, my PR skills. It like brought it all together. And I was like, what can I do to keep doing this always? <laughs> like, this is so fun. And then... I was like, okay, well, let me put up a website. And my friend actually ended up putting up, we bartered. So I taught her content marketing and SEO. And then she taught me, um, she built a website for me and did like photography for me. So like it was an amazing little barter. And that's how AB Creative got started. And I think I filed for my corporation, my S Corp in January, 2018 is when I, or when I got it. Um, that's, I guess, where I officially started, but had my son September 2017. I already had like a few clients going. I don't remember like how. So one of the ways that like I got clients, I didn't really feel like I had to go after clients too much, which was nice. Like I really, what I did is I offered support in different groups. Um, so there's one person who had this like beauty training group that I was like, hey, like, do you want me to come in and teach on influencer marketing? So I did that and like, I got a bunch of leads from that. Um, so I had a bunch of people come through that way. And so I think I kind of, it was like that. And then, you know, I remember one of Amy's clients wanted to work on a, a specific project with me for building um, her email marketing list. So I did that and it just kind of grew from there there was one other major thing that I'm forgetting. Okay. Definitely. This was one of the most important pieces to my legion. Um, I created a series first on my blog. I created a series. It's a four step series, um, all about how to get into Sephora, like mm -hmm. literally step-by-step step how we did it. And then I was like, okay, let me get this into a publication. So I pitched entrepreneur Forbes, I pitched a number of different publications, entrepreneur picked it up and was like, yes, let's do it, write it up. It ended up, um, and how did I get that connection? I don't remember. It was through somebody else that I offered support for. And so I wrote the piece, it got picked up and it, um, it still drives a lot of traffic to me to this day. And that was published in 2018. Um, and it was really well, like, like every, like anyone who was searching for beauty or like searching, like 
literally the SEO term, like how to get into Sephora, would either find my blog or find my entrepreneur article. So that was a big, big way that we got people to come. And I knew it was something that I was like, what kind of topic can I write on that no one else could write on? And I had never seen it written about yet. And, um, and that was big. That was huge. That was a big, like, not only credibility marker, but also a big driver of traffic. Um, I, that was a big part of why I started AB Creative because I wanted to democratize the beauty industry. I felt like it was all about trade secrets and industry secrets, and it was very elitist and not a lot of people knew about how to get into, how to break into the beauty industry. And I think I was like, well, what, what can we do to kind of lay it all open and give the opportunity for anybody to start a, start a beauty brand? It doesn't have to be someone who has, has connections. You make a, a big part is, is the making of the connections as you go, you know? Yeah, definitely. So where you were one-on-one, -on -one, you were doing consulting one-on-one, -on -one, and then you switched to group program, um, not too recently, but pretty it recent, right? 2019, I think. So I started working one-on-one -on -one with clients. I started creating a, like basically a framework and then testing that framework with them kind of going one step at one, like each, each step was a module and I would mm -hmm. actually building and then testing the framework with my one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, and then eventually like, I think a year and a half, I think at the end of 20, yeah. So it was, it was almost like two years into consulting. I launched C2C, which is like our signature group program. So two years into consulting in 2019, you decide to switch from one-to-one -to, -one to the C2C group program. Did you find that there were any challenges during that transition from one-to-one -to, -one to the group program? And if so, what were the emotions you were feeling when you made that switch? I was so nervous. I was like, I don't know how I can teach a group when I'm like, I don't know if this is translatable to, to group. I don't know if I can translate it. I was so nervous. Like, to bring it to a group environment. Uh, but once I, like, it's, it's interesting because I think someone in our group was talking about this where they said, I know, it was, maybe it was a podcast episode. Anyways, it was, it's like, once you start the motion of doing the thing, you're just already doing it. Do you, you know what I mean? So it's like, you're already in yeah. it. And maybe there's people out there who will like, start doing something and are in the middle of it and stop to me that would like drive me nuts like I need to finish it but like once <laughs> you're in it like you're just all right well like we're doing it we're doing this and then you're yeah. doing it and then you're like launching the thing and and then you're I remember like launching it and then not sure if not sure if like anyone would be interested in joining and and really working on the messaging throughout the launch and I think that first cohort we had like six or eight members and um they're they're amazing like that it, it was totally all the fears i had and all the anxiety i had around teaching a group went out the window um it was such a great cohort it was such a great group um i was able to you know one of the brands still we still work together on a um, pretty regular basis. 
the other brand, um, we may be actually working again in January. And so it's, it's amazing because I've still been in touch with those brands from our first cohort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What and what um, cohort did you just finish launching? Was that the seventh? Just finished launching cohort six. Six. Okay. Yeah, yeah, six launches. Where <laughs> do most of your students typically come from or how do they find you? Um, I think a lot come from Instagram, surprisingly. Some come from that article, the Sephora article still. Sometimes um, referrals, like so people who like past students um, will be like, oh, you got to take it. Or um, sometimes they've been on our email list for a long time, for like two years, two, two and a half years, and they weren't quite ready. And then now they're finally ready. So yeah. So, yeah. so after working with um, six cohorts or going into your six cohort, what do you see um, that like beauty brands miss the most? Or what's, I guess, the biggest mistake that they may be making? I think they're, they're trying to do t- step 10 when they're still on step one. Like they're trying to go volume and they're talking about how to build leads, but they don't even know their customer very well. Like they wouldn't be able to answer like, okay, well, where, where does your customer shop for new brands, you know, for new brands or where do they mm-hmm. discover new beauty companies? You know, where do they, where they actually buy those products? Um, how do they use those products? Like they may, they won't, they can't answer those questions, but they're working on the branding and they're working on their product development, but yet the branding should be dictated by the the customer that you're serving like mm-hmm. one type of like if you if it turns out in your target customer research that let's just say your your customer is gen at or gen z and really into sustainability your packaging is using like triple ply paper like 30 what is it like 31 point paper and like not recyclable and all these things like okay, well now you have a disconnect. And like, it happens literally all the time where there's a disconnect and they don't understand why the product's not selling. Um, And it's not selling because you haven't understood who your target customer is. You skip to step 10, but you're still on step like one, two, three. Um, And I think people just get really excited. They're just really anxious and excited to get the brand out there and like market it and put it out and show all their friends and family and uh, it's the people who are willing to put in the work, the groundwork that really will see the brand take off. Mm-hmm. And they can do that in C2C. I know in one of our, in our last retreat, um, you mentioned how, you know, you're launching C2C over and over and over again. And then you launch your sixth one and you're talking to your husband and you're like, and this is going to be the one that fails. This is going to be the one that flops. And it obviously didn't, you know, and I don't think it ever will. I want to touch on like the the reason or root of that kind of like thought. What makes you think that way after like the success of all of your other businesses as well as all of your other cohorts? I mean, I think part of that is that maverick personality of like, it's got to be hard and it's got to be challenging. And there's got to be something like that gives us a hiccup for us to fix. Like I'm a fixer. So I'm like... <laughs> I think that's part of it. And I think the 
other part of it, and I'm, I'm starting to learn like, okay, maybe it's just me, me, but I'm like, there's a, this is, there's a pandemic camp happening and there's a war happening. And there's like, literally every time we launch, I swear to God, there hasn't been one launch that didn't have like a, a catastrophe happening around it. No joke. Every wow. single time, like, how is this possible? And what will happen when that's not the case? Like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know where that, I think, yeah, I think like one part of it is like the Maverick style of like wanting it to be challenging maybe in my mind. And then the other part is maybe just like feeling like I, I got lucky the first five times or something to find like such amazing <laughs> brands to work with. And then this, this time the luck's gonna run out and, no one will find us or something like that. I wonder if this sounds familiar to our listeners. Sometimes as entrepreneurs, we have a successful run after run after run. And sometimes we still have moments of self-doubt where we think, oh no, this next one's going to be a total flop. And if we're lucky, we're able to catch ourselves and acknowledge that these doubts are understandable, while also reminding ourselves that we already have the track record to prove it. But it's even more important to actually look within and see why is it that we still feel doubt in ourselves even after seeing success time and time again. The last thing I wanna to touch on is growth. You mentioned that if you had the chance to do it all over again, you would not change anything. So what has been the most integral part for you in embracing and accepting growth? Um, it's my number one value. So I think because of that, uh, so I worked with a, a business coach that's like phenomenal. Her name is Colette Simone and she's like impossible to work with because, and she's, she didn't even have a website up until like a year ago. And she is like a year long wait list and works with like, all of these like big like executives and, and startup founders. Um, and I just happened to connect with her. Um, she was looking for my services and I was looking for her services. So we ended up bartering, which was really lucky. And I had been looking for a business coach at the time. And so she was the one who actually was able to help me uncover you know, what I used to, so I used to lead with the value of significance or like the human need. So there's six human needs, right? Like one of them is significance and it's feeling important, which I think is why when I was running Nomatera, big, I would chase a lot of media mentions, which was all, which was great for the business, but I think it also kind of, you know, overshadowed some of the other work that maybe needed to be done in terms of like just building processes and, and better foundations. So I think the, the, the seeking out of feeling significant and feeling important and feeling seen, um, I think that was a superficial human need. And then when I worked with her, I was able to really uncover my real human need or human desire, which is growth, like my authentic one. And so once I uncovered that, it's like nothing was a fear. 
because for me, anything I do is just an opportunity to explore and grow. And like, if there's failure, that's just, it's not really failure. It's just an opportunity to learn from the failure so you could just do it a little bit differently next time. I hope that Aggie's story and wisdom has left you feeling inspired and motivated to just go after your dreams. Her ability to turn her passion into profit is a testament to the power of hard work and dedication. So I encourage you to take Aggie's example to heart and follow your own passions with the same drive and determination. Remember, success is within your reach, no matter how big or small your goals may be. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We could not have done it without the hard work and dedication of our amazing team. A special thanks to Brandon for scripting and quality checking, to Andrew for audio design and post-production support, to Addie for graphics and marketing, and of course, a huge thanks to our guests for sharing their passion and their story on today's episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for an exclusive blog interview, as well as links to support them and their business. And don't forget to leave a review and share this podcast on your social media. We appreciate your support and can't wait to bring you more great content in the future. I'm Chelsea, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.